Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Lee, and we are here to explore the ideas, stories, and experiences of what it means to be a curious and empowered human. We will talk about how to anchor into your relationship to intimacy, emotional alchemy, embodiment medicine, and conscious relationships. On this podcast, my guests and I will be sharing wisdom about coming back home to the truest version of yourself. Welcome back to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. Now, this is the time of year we are releasing this episode in January. And so this is the time of year that many of us set goals for ourselves. And often that process begins with an assessment of what we don't like about our current lives so that we can improve ourselves. So that sounds very logical. And I know that it's no surprise to any of you who are listening that, you know, this is where we make resolutions to eat better and to exercise more and to lose weight. But I am wondering if any of you have ever stopped to wonder why. Why do we think of our bodies as an object that is a constant self-improvement project? Why do we reach for fitness goals from a punitive space where we are constantly trying to shrink our bodies? Why do we place so much value on what we look like? And why do we constantly look for external validation for how good we are? And I'm honestly really curious about if we can do this differently, can we do this differently? And what would that look like? I just want to be really clear here that I'm not asking why with any tone of judgment, because I have certainly been in this space many times before. I am definitely not a fully evolved human being. And so this is an ingrained belief pattern that I still fall into. It's a slippery place for me as well. And I still fall into this message of not good enough when it comes to body image. So I am right there with you. I am asking why with a genuine sense of curiosity, because asking why is the necessary step to move towards how can I do this differently? I have invited Holly Toronto, who is a body image coach, to share her thoughts and her beliefs around around this culture, around body image. And before we launch into this conversation with Holly, I want to say that our relationship, meaning me and you, this relationship is built on trust. And I do not take that trust lightly. And so I am extremely choosy about who I invite onto this podcast, but particularly I'm really choosy about who I ask to speak about body image because this is a arena that gets hijacked by quote unquote experts and wellness professionals who tell you that they know more about your body than you do. And Having been on that side of the wellness world myself as a practitioner, I can say that yes, there are those who have more education and training than you, but all of that brain knowledge does not override the intelligence of your body. So the filter that I am being conscious of when I invite guests onto this show is directly related to how my body feels when I am in conversation with them. And the very first time that Holly and I had an opportunity to chat before we recorded this episode, 
everything that she was saying felt like a love note. It felt like a permission slip for me to be in deeper relationship with my body. And that is what I am looking for. She is somebody who helps build trust with your body rather than fracturing it and molding it to fit some sort of sustainable ideal. So Holly is a certified master level coach through Health Coach Institute, and she has four years of experience helping highly driven women stop dieting and build resilience to toxic beauty messages. She uses an intuitive and spiritual approach that guides her clients towards self-trust, towards confidence and sovereignty over their entire being, that is from the body, mind, and soul perspective. And from this place, her clients are able to make self-guided decisions and finally live the life that they desire in the body that they live in today. I felt like this conversation felt really timely for me on a personal note, because it falls in line with the intention that I've set for myself in this new year. So years ago, I decided to stop setting results-oriented goals for myself and instead set intentions, because I realized that the goals that I was setting were working on the symptom level. They were never getting to the root of why I was wanting to shift or change. And of course, because we're working on the symptom level, I would invariably fall short of that goal and it would perpetuate this message, this belief that I wasn't good enough. And so when I shifted to intentionality, that felt so different for me. I usually choose one word and if I choose a word that is in alignment for what my life feels like in the moment, it really ripples into every single aspect of my life. When I align with intention, I can allow myself to release the outcome, which then allows for there to be space for magic. It allows for space to have creativity bubble up. And when I let go of goals, my actions, I found, were not performative anymore because that compass is that one word that I had aligned with that that's guiding me from within. So it's helping on the root level. So my word for this year is allow. And in the context of this conversation, some thoughts came forth, um, all stemming from this intention around allow. So can I allow myself to move in a way that celebrates my body instead of punishing it? Can I allow my cravings for food to guide my meals? Can I allow myself to choose what feels good to me on a day-to-day basis? And quite honestly, sometimes this is a moment-to-moment basis. Can I allow myself to trust that my body knows some shit? And can I allow myself to settle into home within my body? I just love recording these podcast episodes because I always have some reflections that bubble up to the surface even after the conversation is over and and I had some reflections come up after Holly and I chatted but in order for me to share those reflections I think you need to have some context of the conversation so we are hanging out here in the intro like we always do but I want to invite you to stay tuned afterwards because I've recorded a little bit of an outro and a journaling practice for you as well. 
Before we get into the episode, I want to invite you. So if these conversations are valuable to you, um, please head on over to patreon.com where you can leave us a monthly tip for the work that we do here. Your funds directly contribute to our ability to produce this podcast. And if a financial thank you is not your jam, totally fine. We also appreciate verbal thank yous. Leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts helps other folks find their way to these conversations. And honestly, every time I receive a review, it feels like a little breadcrumb letting me know that I'm moving in a direction that feels resonant to you. And I just want to share a review that Lauren left us this week. She says, I'm not quite sure I ever would have been able to evolve at the pace I did this year without Kat's wisdom and guidance. The ability she has to help distill down to the core of an issue and walk you through how to see it, sit with it, and alchemize it is everything. She's accepting, nurturing, and leaves you with clarity that is hard to get to on your own. And this podcast is an extension of the work that we do together, and I am here for it all. I am. So honored to be able to witness you, Lauren, to witness every single one of you who are listening out there and reaching out and sharing your experiences and sharing your stories with me. I am in awe of these conversations that I get to have with you. Some of you I've never even met in person. And so just want to say thank you. And with that, here we go. Here's Holly. Today, I am so excited to be having a conversation um, with Holly Toronto. And I, you know, my curiosity got piqued when you reached out to be on the podcast. And I really wanted to put you at the very beginning of the year because you talk so beautifully about body image, about how to be in a nourishing relationship with our bodies in terms of movement and nutrition. And I think that this is just the way that our modern society is set up. We have a tendency to slip into old belief patterns, old um, places where we sort of approach our bodies from a place of scarcity. And, and so Holly, I'm so, so glad that you are here. I think it's something that a lot of people in my community have been struggling with. Um, I'm seeing it sort of pop up here and there on social media. I'm feeling it in myself just in being able to recognize that and wanting to do something different. So I'm really excited to to jump into this conversation with you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Kat. And yeah, it's like we're in January, right? It's like the beginning of the year, it's a time when a lot of people are setting goals and intentions for themselves. And really the, oftentimes what ends up being sort of like the default is to to make our bodies this self-improvement project that we have to fix or change. And it's, it's something that like, we don't sometimes even know there's another option besides going down the path of dieting and cleansing and these sort of disordered ways of relating to our bodies. And I'm really here to just share another option that might be much more sustainable and nourishing for mm-hmm. our physical bodies as well as for our mental health and emotional well-being. Yeah. And that's what I love about your work is that it's not just about the physical body. You take a deeper dive and you have this deep understanding of, you know, food is not just this thing that we consume, it's also a thing that we consume on an energetic and emotional level and and so 
to just tell somebody you need to do X, Y, or Z is not necessarily the best tool for everybody. You know, it's about actually asking questions about why you have that relationship with with this kind of food or, you know, what does that represent for you and really treating it as this holistic picture instead of just you need to fix this because this is the result that you want. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's like, that's, that's like what, what you said about, and I, and I forget exactly how you said it, but something along the lines of like the, the rules or whatever it might be that we think we have to follow for our bodies or for, you know, for ultimate health and well being, like that not working. Yeah. Our bodies actually rebel against that mm. in many ways. Like our bodies were not built to withstand periods of, of restriction. In fact, our bodies oftentimes, not oftentimes, our bodies feel and experience dieting as a threat to our survival. So when we put ourselves into an intentional state of restriction, right, whether that's um, through reducing calories or cutting out certain macronutrients, our bodies will you know, for a period of time, they'll be like, okay, whatever. Like, this is just something new. But then eventually they'll be like, Hey, wait a second. Like, I really don't like this. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, and then our, our, our incredibly wise bodies will activate these survival mechanisms, such as, you know, slowing down our metabolism so that we conserve more, right. Reducing our energy levels. So we're not expending as much and then loading up cravings, compulsive behaviors around food that are intended to get us to eat, to activate eating, right? So what so many people feel like is like, oh, I'm so out of control around food, or I can't, you know, I have no discipline or self-control is really just our, our incredibly intelligent body, body's way of trying to stay alive when we put them into a state of, of forced famine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get curious about, um, Whenever I have a coach on, like, there's some pillars that you stand on. So I'm curious about, like, if you could chat about some of, like, your belief systems, your values, your, your, your pillars that you stand on when it comes to how you think about um, food and nutrition and, and, and what we're chatting about here. Yeah. Yeah. And I would add to that, like food nutrition and then the body image piece of it, because it's like with food and body image, they are so deeply intertwined with one another. You know, we're oftentimes making decisions for our bodies and how we're nourishing and feeding ourselves and even moving our bodies from a place of reaction to how our bodies look. Uh Right. Um, So the two, like you can't talk about one without talking about the other. And and that's why in my work, I'm always doing that simultaneously with my clients. And I love that you you asked about the pillars because I can actually share specifically um, from my homecoming program that I run with my business partner, Julie mm-hmm. Olamak. Um, this is a, an eight-month program that we run for women who um, want to you know, make dieting and body shame a thing of the past in their lives so that they can put their energy towards things that are truly important to them beyond just the pursuit of thinness. Um, we do have a, a four-part framework or pillars that we move through that we believe is just the foundation of this work. And so the first place that we always start with is with awareness, right? Because the thing is, is that we are we are born into diet culture, right? We are born into yeah. beauty culture. 
there's so much that like, you know, from the age of about four years old has been imprinted on us through our parents, through our peers and through the media, right? So we get this understanding of, of our bodies and where they fall on the social ladder, right? Based on like the size of our bodies. Also, you know, race plays a big role in that, um, you know, background, ethnicity, like hair color, all of that kind of stuff, like all plays such a big role in how we're measuring, measuring ourselves, ourselves against these arbitrary standards that <laughs> we've just been given. Mm-hmm. And so the, the first piece is awareness, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. And so a lot of times it's like, we start from a place of, of, asking the question, like, where did you learn that your body wasn't good as she is or as he is? Or, right? Where did you learn that? Who, who reinforced that message for you? Who or what reinforced that message for you? And getting really curious about where these narratives that you're caring about, about your body and about food came from, right? Going back to sort of the source. Um, so there's the personal piece of that, but then there's also like the more meta, right? experience of it and helping people understand ideas like living in a fat phobic culture. You know, we do live in a culture that teaches us to fear fat bodies and fear being in a larger body. Um, looking at things like weight stigma and how that impacts somebody's overall health and well-being from a physical and mental state. So we look at awareness from the internal and from what's going on in the world around you. So that's the first pillar that we work through. The second pillar that we work through is is resilience. So resilience is about taking all of that awareness, right, and uh, revising, releasing, um, rebuilding what needs to be, uh, yeah, released, revised, and rebuilt within you from that, right? So like letting go of beliefs that aren't yours, right? It's like, oh, if I've been carrying this belief that a body that looks X, Y, or Z is bad, right? if that's not actually my belief, can I let that go, right? Can I revive that? Um, if I've been carrying the belief that my body is bad, right? Can I revise that story? Um, and so this is about really building resilience again to this toxic culture that we are all a part of, um, which is a lot easier said than done. And there's many tools and lots of coaching exercises that we go through to really help our clients build resilience. And, and one of the things that I think many of our clients get from, um, like our homecoming program is this sense of like, okay, because the thing with body image healing is that a lot of people feel like, okay, if I heal my body image, then I'll suddenly look in the mirror and love what I see. And like, sure, that's great. Like, I would love that for every single one of my clients. But what ultimately that still is, is focusing on the, the, the ex, your external appearance. And so the work is about looking in the mirror and knowing that whatever is reflecting back to you is good, regardless of, of, of what it looks like. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's a deeper layer there. And so that's ultimately the goal with the resilience work. It's like detaching your sense of self-worth from your external appearance or really anything that's outside of you. Yeah. And I, I love that because there's, there's so much of, of what I do and, and teach about is this like level of like, can you, can you try your best and detach yourself from, you know, like these things that we have a tendency to identify with, you know, whether that is how much money you make, what it is that you do. And, and body is such a personal one because this is the vehicle that you 
that you do everything in, right? And so, of course, there's a level of identity and attachment that that's going to come with it. But what I love about what you're sharing is it's it's coming from a very sustainable place, it feels like, um, because there is this, like, who is taught as a child? Like, I don't know anybody who's been taught as a child to love your body unconditionally, mm. you know? That doesn't mean that, like, you can't improve. And if you have certain strength goals, if you have certain activities that you want to do, that, like, you can't move towards those goals. But it can come from a place of abundance and mm. unconditional love, Versus like, I need to punish myself to attain the results and the the things that I want to achieve in life. You know, that's, that's exactly. such a huge shift for people right that's there. Exactly that's, mm. it, that's that if like so much of it is shifting from this scarcity focused view of ourselves and our bodies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to a place of abundance, right? Mm-hmm. I, I talk about this a lot when it comes to things like, like movement, right? Like, so often movement is coming from this place of like, I need to lose. I need to shrink myself. I need to shred. I need to like, you know, be in a calorie deficit in order to lose weight. Right. And it's so punitive and it's so, it's so um, not sustainable to use the word that you just said, because that's exactly, exactly right. You know, in my own personal experience, when I was approaching movement from that perspective, from that very punitive, needing to shrink my body, very scarce minded perspective. I would go through these times where I, I would like work out so hard at the gym for like two weeks. Right. And then eventually my, I would either, you know, get an injury, <laughs> right. Or, or I would, you know, burn myself out or just feel like, Oh my God, I, I don't even enjoy this movement that I'm doing. And so then I would stop. Right. And so I wouldn't ever experience the benefits of, of long-term movement, right? Movement over a period of time. And so now after doing this work, right? Like I've I've shifted to see movement from a place of abundance, from a place of, oh, this is something that adds to my, my, my well-being. This is something that gives me energy. This is something that makes me sleep better. This is something that helps me regulate my mood and just feel really good and releases endorphins. It's this very abundant place, something that I do for my body versus to my body. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's exactly it. Like it's, it's abundance versus, versus scarcity. Yeah. And that's a beautiful distinction. I just want to highlight what you just said in terms of something that I do for my body instead of to my body. Like it's just a one word distinction, but that is huge. Yeah. So you've talked about awareness. You've talked about resilience. Um, Tell me a little bit more about the other two pillars. Yeah. So the the third pillar would be nourishment. And when we're looking at nourishment, I, I'm I'm looking at like the holistic picture of a human being, right? Like of course we're looking at food and how how you're feeding yourself. And and that, again, that's really through the intuitive eating lens, which is about moving away from scarcity and restriction to a place of abundance and having, you know, permission to eat the foods that you enjoy and that give you a lot of pleasure and are very satisfying to you, which is something a, a big part of health and well-being that people don't actually recognize is a part of uh, as a part of it like having pleasure and satisfaction with food is so so key um, and something that diet culture teaches us to disconnect from 
So we're going to look at, we look at nourishment from that perspective, from a place of, again, abundance versus scarcity, but then also like nourishment from a place of, well, how are your relationships, right? Like, are you building nourishing relationships? Do you have healthy boundaries? Are your needs being met, right? Are you, are you pouring from an empty cup? Are you overgiving of of yourself? Um, and, and really getting curious about that as well as, you know, career or, um, you know, like all of the other facets of life, your spiritual life, whatever it is, like, are you approaching that from the most nourishing? This is, you know, for me to fill my cup so that I can live a, a fulfilled life. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's really looking at nourishment from that very holistic perspective. Yeah. And, you know, I think that you touch on something that I've seen over and over and over again is I feel like, like our lives are just so full of metaphors. Mm-hmm. And when you start asking yourself, how do I want to feed my body today? that then ripples out into, like you were saying, how do I want to feel in my relationships? Am I feeling nourished in my relationships? Am I able to, if, you know, am I able to negotiate for my worth in my job? Am I like, it just, this one simple act of asking your body, how do I want to feed myself today can like literally change how you you shift into all these other arenas in your life it sounds kind of silly but I've seen it over and over and over again I know you have too um yeah and I've and I've seen it even in my own life is like I definitely came from a place like coming out of grad school and having learned about nutrition and sort of the traditional framework of like macronutrients and micronutrients and you have to take x amount of supplements and you have to have this much of you know certain macros on your plate not really understanding a that everyone has a different body with different nutritional needs and you know even based on like where your genetics come from like plays a major part into that and so to pigeonhole people into like you have a human body so therefore you need this amount of macros and this amount of micros you know it's just like where does that ever work in any other aspect of our lives and so it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me but that's definitely like like I would say you know, a decade ago, that's how I was trained. And that's how I how I believed and, um, you know, thinking about, you know, gluten is always bad, because that is what I've read in the textbooks. And um, I think this year, being able to be I I work completely from home now. um, And I have a schedule that I get to set now. um, And you know, this is probably the year that I've eaten the most gluten in my entire life. But it's also like, I had this idea that if I started eating gluten, that I would just like go down the like gluten, you know, (laughs) rabbit hole and just like turn into, you know, a gluten monster. Because I I love pasta. I love breads. I love desserts. Um, But what I started noticing is if I was going to sit and ask my body, when do I want to eat? What do I want to eat? Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't always those things that I thought I would reach for. You know, I still very much love my veggies and my meats and my proteins. Um, it, I did not turn into a gluten monster like I thought I would. Um, and, and I think that there is this fear with a lot of people that 
if I start, you know, indulging in that thing that I love, am I going to then become a binge eater of the thing that I love? And then so it's easier to just say no from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You're hitting on something that I think um, is really important to kind of pull out because I talked a little bit about you know, biologically, on a biological level, what's, what's happening in your body when you're restricting, right? But there's also a psychological impact to restriction in that, you know, when we tell ourselves we can't have something, right? I can't have gluten because I'm going to become a gluten monster. Right? I've heard that like so many times. I love it. Um, that the mere thought of I can't have gluten can actually create erratic thoughts and behaviors around those foods. Mm -hmm. So it's like the classic example of like, don't think about a pink elephant, right? It's like, oh my God, all I think about is a pink elephant. It's like, don't want gluten. (laughs) It's like, all you want is gluten. All you want is pasta. All you want is bread, right? And so uh, again, oftentimes what people feel like is, you know, food addiction or lacking discipline or being out of control, or even when they're experiencing binging, right? oftentimes at the root of that is, again, it's not a a moral failing, right? It's not because you're a weak person. It's because our bodies are in reaction to restriction. Because when we put rules on something, on a specific food or a group of foods, it makes that food a a scarce resource, Mm. right? Anything that feels like a scarce resource is going to feel that much more like it has control over us, right? Versus what I'm hearing for you and your experience is that you, and this is more of an assumption than anything. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to allow myself to have gluten, right? Like I'm going to eat gluten and, and I'm going to have it when I want it. And I'm going to tune into my body and ask like, what do you want today? Right. And so what in essence you were doing was giving yourself unconditional permission to have gluten. And people think that if they give themselves unconditional permission to eat gluten, or anything else, they're going to go crazy. But really what happens is that that stance, right, actually calms your nervous system. It's like a deep breath to your body and your body's like, oh, okay, I'm allowed to have that thing if I want it. And from that place, what empowered choice do I want to make? Do I want to have gluten? Because I know I'm allowed to have it without guilt, without shame, without punishment, right? Do I want it? Sure. Yeah. I'd love a, a big bowl of pasta. Or maybe it's like, you know what, I'm not feeling that today. Maybe I want, you know, some salmon and veggies, or maybe I'm wanting a slice of pizza or whatever it is, right? But what unconditional permission to eat does is is many things. But one, detaches your morality from food, right? So you're not labeling yourself good or bad based on what you eat and lets you make choices for your body from a much less reactionary place, meaning not in reaction to restriction, and from a place of, and this will be something that we talk about the fourth pillar from a place of what we call sovereignty, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am like, oh, I'm embodied, I'm sovereign, I'm free to make the choices that I want to make for my unique body. And from this place, what would I like to choose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's beautiful. And I think where I get curious um, in terms of how you speak to your clients about this, because I think that there are you know, if we can, it's super, super basic, but like, if we can break down disordered eating, it's like, I'm too restrictive or I'm not restrictive enough. Like, Mm -hmm. like there's the two ends of the pendulum 
I don't, I don't really like the wording of how I said that, but I don't quite know how else to say. <laughs> um, so how would you like, so for, for someone like me, who's maybe been in my past a little too restrictive with food, there's that unconditional permission that you were saying so that I have the sovereignty to make decisions that feel aligned for me and my body in that moment. Right. So how would you speak to somebody on the other end, the opposite end of where, where I'm coming from, which is maybe they're, they're eating a, a little bit too much of the gluten and that's just a part of their, their food. And they do maybe need to be focusing more on veggies and they haven't had a chance to like really see that as like a really nourishing thing for their bodies such a good question. And the, the answer might actually be a little bit surprising. So the way that I would approach that would be almost exactly the same way as the person who's more on the restrictive end. Because again, like when, when usually when somebody, you know, let me use a client story, because this is actually could be really helpful. So I had a client who um, was experiencing really intense binges that felt very out of control. They were happening at nighttime, which is generally, you know, oftentimes when binges happen for people. Mm-hmm. And so when we were exploring with her, like what, like what was causing her to, to get to this point of, of binging? What we recognize is that throughout her day, she was eating, but she was not eating a satisfying meal, right? So she was having like three energy bars and then maybe like a piece of toast, and like maybe an apple, right? And so she was like, she was eating definitely not enough and definitely not satisfying foods. And so it would lead her to this point you know, around 9 p.m. or whatever, when she was trying to be good or restrictive throughout her day, that her body, her biology would take over and cause a binge. Mm. And so what we looked at was actually, okay, how can we create a lot of satisfaction in how you're eating throughout the day, right? So she went to Trader Joe's and she bought herself like three different types of bread to make sandwiches. And she bought, um, you know, snacks and things that were going to be really like satisfying for her too. Um, so and she practiced that for like a week where she was eating like meals, like breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? And within a very short period of time, her binges were almost completely gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the work was in looking at where is she still restricting, right? Because I think for a lot of people who struggle with, with binging or eating past the point of fullness, their default reaction is to be more restrictive, which ultimately makes the problem worse. Mm. When they're able to begin to trust their bodies, trust their appetite to regulate, trust that they can um, eat the right amount of food for them throughout the day, right? And make sure that they're getting enough of of a a variety of foods, right? Mm -hmm. Again, the binges or the out of control experiences around food tend to just naturally dissipate. Does that make sense? It does. And I love how you have the least dogmatic approach to this that I've ever heard in terms of like speaking to lots of people who, who work with nutrition is I think that there is, I mean, I worked in the fertility field for so many years and like there is the quote unquote fertility diet. And so you're supposed to get X amount of, you know, grams of fat every day and like it becomes so structured Mm -hmm. and what I what I want to just sort of like stand on a soapbox and just preach if anybody will hear me (laughs) um, is 
is this just this basic notion that our bodies are so so wise mm-hmm. you know like we 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 tend to like override the wisdom of our bodies with the intelligence of what we see black and white on a blog post about the fertility diet, or, you know, this is what this expert says about losing 10 pounds, or this is what this expert says about fixing my hormones through diet. Mm -hmm. And we forget that actually, like if we can develop this mentality of being in teamwork of, of doing this homecoming work that, that you speak of, um, actually your body already knows exactly what to do. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. I'm going to get up on that. So let's get on the soapbox together. <laughs> yes. I mean, trusting the wisdom of our bodies, getting out of our body's way mm-hmm. is, Oh my God, it's the greatest gift that we can give. Like we actually have a client in our homecoming program who, you know, has experienced every eating disorder like imaginable. And she's, it's like, and again, like she's working with a treatment team. This is, we are not claiming to be eating disorder specialists by any means. She has a treatment team and she's doing homecoming um, to, to make sure that she's getting all the support that she needs, but she's experienced eating disorder since she was like a young girl. Right. And she said that um, doing this homecoming work using, you know, the principles of intuitive eating, right. To begin to build trust with her body. It's the first time that she's ever actually like getting out of her body's way and knowing that like her body will do her thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like her body knows what to do. Our bodies regulate weight in the same way that they regulate temperature. Like our bodies know where they want to be (laughs) on a scale, right? It just might mean challenging the norms, right? Or what's expected of, of, of of body size or, you know, like the ideal body, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Like, trusting the body. I'm not saying that that's an easy thing because we've been again, conditioned to outsource mm-hmm. in the same way that we outsource our self-worth. We outsource, outsource the wisdom of our bodies again to, mm-hmm. the, to the blog, to the, to the health and wellness expert to like mm-hmm. tell us what to eat. And, you know, if listeners can take anything from this, I would just be so mindful of, of challenging anything that feels dogmatic or black and white, right? Like anything that's makes these like hard and fast claims of like this bad, this good, right? Where can I explore the nuance? Where can I see how this actually applies to me? Take what works and leave the rest. Yeah, Uh, Because you know what? There's 8 billion different people on the planet. There's 8 billion different bodies with 8 billion different needs, right? So like no two bodies were meant to to function, look uh, the same or even have the same needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I love to think about it as, as building partnership, like literally you are in partnership with your body and, and you might, you might've noticed this and, and I want to just kind of name it for, for listeners as well. Um, one of the things that was most game-changing in my own experience, as well as for the experience of my clients is, is to shift from calling my body it to she, mm. my body is a person. My body is a human being. She's not an it. She's mm-hmm. not an object. She's not something to be manipulated, right? Mm-hmm. She's a being and I am in partnership with her, right? And at the foundation of any strong, healthy partnership is trust. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's just sort of like 
people take nothing away. If listeners take nothing away from this, it's like make that shift in how you're talking about your body and it will change the way that you relate to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how, like, I, I believe so strongly in the medicine of language and, and how we speak to ourselves, how we phrase things, these unconscious stories that we are telling ourselves. And, and you're completely right. Like, like when you call your body an object, you know, um, it dissociates you from, from an object. It becomes no different from the lamp on your nightstand, you know, and, and rather if you can think about your body as your best friend. And this is, this has been the major shift for me in the last several years it has been around how can I, because so much of my life has been around like movement to shrink, movement to have a smaller tummy, movement to have like nicer legs, like let's isolate out core exercises because, you know, my belly is looking a little big right now. And, and rather think about it as like, how, like, what do I want to do with my best friend today? Yeah. You know? Yes. <laughs> um, and it. sometimes that, that looks like I'm going to sit on my ass and that's <laughs> totally fine. And we're going to yeah. like watch, you know, we're going to binge watch Shit's Creek. Yeah, but sometimes it is like it's a nice day today so I went for a really nice long walk with my dogs um and and then you know yesterday my boyfriend lives in um in Las Vegas and so we got on Skype together and we did you know like a 30 minute workout together on Skype you know and so it's like if you can approach it with that same sort of curiosity of like like, what would I want to do with my best friend today? Like, and, and I think that that goes in line with being able to personify her as a she, as a human being, as, you know, like somebody who has wisdom um, and wants to have fun just as much as you want to have fun. Um, Like, I think that that would just change how you would approach a day-to-day sort of way of relating. Yeah. 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 I always say like a mantra when you're first stepping into this work is to say to yourself, my body is not something. My body is someone. Mm. My body is not something. My body is someone, Mm. right? Like remembering that. And, you know, what you're, you were speaking about in terms of like, just responding to the ever changing needs of your body, right? Like that's, that's the last pillar of, of the work of homecoming is, is sovereignty. And I've used that word a couple of times as we've been chatting. Sovereignty um, to me means that we are making choices for ourselves from a place of, of our own like wholeness, right? We're not fragmenting out parts of ourselves. We're not making decisions in reaction to diet culture or somebody else's expectations of us, right? We are so deeply aligned with who we are in our wholeness, that we operate and act and care for ourselves and others from that place of deep sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And so that means that like what you need on a daily basis gets to change, right? Like it it means that you get to, to respond from that really like 
loving place of like, oh, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to watch Schitt's Creek and I'm binge watch Schitt's Creek for the day. And sometimes I'm going to, you know, hop on with my boyfriend and do a 30 minute video. Or sometimes I might just stretch, right? Um, you know, sometimes I might choose to eat this food and other times I might choose not to eat this food. Sometimes, um, yeah, I might need more rest. And sometimes I might have like this burst of energy, but it's all coming from a place of like, I've released the expectations of others and I'm operating, operating from a place of my own wholeness. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you and I are, I mean, we sort of have these different access points, but we essentially are are talking about the same thing, you know, like my access point is, is, is through intimacy and relationships, um, typically romantic ones, but your access point is relationship to the body. And essentially this work all comes down to being able to release the stories and the narratives and the conditions that we all place, whether it's relationship or body stuff, because we have the same, you know, bullshit stories with relationships too. Like you're supposed to be married by X amount of time. And, you know, like this is what a happily ever after looks like. And we mm-hmm. all buy into these myths that we are absorbing as children. And so can you go back to that true essence that you were born with, like your soul landed here knowing that it is fully whole, knowing that it is, it does not need to prove itself that it is worthy just by being here. And can you make aligned and sovereign decisions from that place? And, and I love that our, our, our work sort of like merges in this beautiful way um, because it's, it, that's really all it comes down to. Like, it is, it is. And there's, um, there's two things that like just keep coming up for me as, as you were talking, the, the first being, I, I, I heard this quote first from, from Megan Watterson. She's the author of um, many different books. One of them is called revealed and there's some deep body image stuff that she talks about in that book, but she talks about the, the body is the soul's chance to be here. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, for those who, and I, I identify as a very spiritual person. And so this might not resonate with some people, but I also like to think of like our bodies are our spirit or the universe or the divine may manifest, right? Our bodies are like these deeply miraculous creations, right? And can we treat them as such, right? Regardless of of what they look like, our bodies are our soul's chance to be here. And I always talk about, and I think this is very similar with relationships, like our, our bodies are our gateway, home to ourselves, right? Like our bodies are our greatest teachers. There's so much we can learn about ourselves and how we relate to the world around us and, and like really like how we can create the the life of fulfillment and joy that we're so deserving of through creating partnership with our bodies Um, in the same way that we can do that in relationship with other people, right? So like relationships and body are just such two powerful gateways home to the fullest expression of ourselves. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Oh, so much juiciness in your program. I am so, I mean, and, and I'm looking at the words that you just shared with me, awareness, resilience, nourishment, sovereignty. And like with each of those, I can just imagine so many different portals that get awakened in that process and how they also just like continue to cycle through um, 
and it's like these four words like you can spend an entire lifetime learning to have a spiritual practice around those four words so yeah you're you've got a big task ahead of you for the next (laughs) oh for sure yeah I mean we're we're about 65 percent through the the first chapter of the program Mm -hmm. and it's profound (laughs) what what is coming up I mean it's that it's blowing away our expectations I mean um you know I think there was something that you had said earlier about how the way that we eat and nourish ourselves and relate to our bodies will impact, you know, other areas of our lives, right? We've been talking about that so much. And like, I think about the women in this program, like one who was uh, in a career, who is in a a job where she was told that she was never going to get a promotion. Like there was no opportunity for her to, to ever get a promotion. And about halfway through our time in homecoming, after doing all this work on herself, she found herself going into a meeting and saying, well, that's not an option for me. Like I deserve to have a promotion and taking a stand for it. And then being like put on a trajectory to receive it. So mm-hmm. it's like that work was because of this work that she did on herself to build awareness, to nourish herself, to build resilience and to be sovereign within who she is um it it leads to those types of results and that's just like one person's experience um so yeah it's it's just such deeply profound work yeah yeah and I think that that is that speaks to the depth of work that gets done you know and it's it's when these other portals can come through Um, from doing this work because ultimately you know all the spiritual teachers out there are saying the same thing like Eckhart Tolle talks about this you know (laughs) like they all are talking about how can you go back to that inner like truest version of yourself and then make aligned decisions from there and you know I have similar um, experiences in my group coaching program called the heart lab and, you know, okay. people come in wanting to cultivate conscious relationships, but what they, you know, some, this last batch of um, women who went through, um, actually last batch of people who went through, because um, we had both men and women, uh, like two of them quit their jobs because they were like, this is no longer in alignment. Um, one of them, like, got into contact with their kids after mm. their, like nearly a decade of being um, separated from them like they came in with these intentions but we never know what happens out of that like there's this alchemy that happens like nobody came in thinking like oh I'm gonna quit my job in you know <laughs> two months after doing this work like that's just like that resonance no longer fit and it became so aware which I'm sure was what happened with your client too is like that awareness of like oh this no longer aligns and I'm no longer resonant with this energy and so I need to do something about it versus I'm just going to take this as it lays Um, and that's how I think we are able to create these empowered choices of being able to see choices where they're where we couldn't see them before you know, your client was probably thinking like, oh, I have no choice in this. They just told me this is what I'm supposed to accept. You know, I'm only allowed to eat, you know, bland potato soup for the rest of my life. Like, <laughs> I didn't know that there was another choice and, yeah. and, and aligning with your true self 
allows you to actually see those other choices that are like mm-hmm. that like you don't realize that you have like a buffet table of of mm-hmm. options out there that's it yeah, yeah that's the awareness piece like you don't know what you don't know right until you're willing to dive into whatever your portal is whether it's relationships and intimacy or it's body or career whatever it is whatever your portal is like there's so much like gold that we're sitting on as, as human beings and our potential yeah. and the possibilities that exist for us but like all of our conditioning and all of the narratives that just kind of like layer themselves on top of us over time. Like once you get to peel that back, it's like, Oh my God. Okay. Like I didn't realize like this opportunity was in front of me or this opportunity was in front of me. And so, yeah, a hundred percent people come into this work thinking they're going to get one thing and they get something else completely different, but it's exactly what they needed. They just didn't know it yet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So Holly, can you share a little bit about your story? Because I know this is a personal journey. This is not just like the way that you speak about it and how much passion you have around it. This is not just a like, oh, I learned this from books. And like, this is, this is the, this is the life that you lead. And, and so I'd love to hear about how, how this came to be for you. Yes. Thank you for asking that question. Yeah. It's, it's a very deeply personal journey for me. I think I've had many um, interviews where people are like, I'm assuming you didn't like know you wanted to be a body image coach when you grew up. And I was like, no, I didn't know that, but it has been my life's work up until this point. So um, I'll try not to share like the full, full heroine's journey, but my, I, I don't actually remember a time before the age of like, before maybe like five or six years ago where I actually loved my body or liked my body or liked what I saw in the mirror from probably around the age of eight or nine. I I hated my body and I hated the way that I looked. And this is something that we probably don't have too much time to explore today, but a lot of that came from growing up in um, evangelical Christianity and fundamentalist religion during the height of the purity movement in the early nineties and two thousands that taught young people to, um, you know, shove down their needs for, for sex and pleasure and intimacy and that that was bad and wrong and that your bodies were dirty. Like so much of my experience in my body started from that place of, of just growing up in, in purity culture. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward to, you know, college and early twenties, I had gone to school for fashion. I was working in the fashion industry, obviously a very image centric industry of which I absolutely, you know, fell prey to that and was constantly trying to change and manipulate my body. Um, and though I had, you know, let go of the, the fundamentalist um, dogmatic views of my childhood religion, um, the, the, the underpinnings of that were still very much so alive in how I related to my body. And so I found myself, um, getting involved in things like the clean food movement and the pure food movement, interestingly, (laughs) and thinking that I was doing these things for, for my health. Right. So I had struggled with digestive issues and female adult acne. And I ended up going on this very extreme diet, cutting out all of the quote unquote anti-inflammatory foods and really only eating pure, clean, whole foods, which can be a very beautiful journey for many people. But like we talked about, it got to a place, you know, wanting to be a perfectionist and be a good girl. Like I took it to a very extreme level where it started to tip the scales into orthorexia. Yeah. There's that morality piece. Oh, yes, for sure. Like <laughs> very much so good, bad girl. Right. Um, and so I actually became a health coach because of that experience, Mm -hmm. because I got 
a lot of praise and accolades from people for being so good, for being so disciplined. I lost a lot of weight on that diet and people were like, oh, like help me, right? So I got a certification as a health coach because of that. Meanwhile, these deeper things were happening under the surface and that I was constantly stressed and anxious around food. My hair was starting to fall out. You know, the reason that I went on this diet to clear my skin, my skin was actually getting worse. Um, and so you know, a, a big turning point happened for me when I was uh, on a trip with my husband. We were in Alaska on a cruise and I was constantly confronted on a daily basis with all you do when you're on a cruise, which is eat, right? And so I was in front of these buffets of foods that I had deemed bad and wrong and like they would kill me if I ate them. <laughs> and so I, I was having anxiety attacks every single day mm-hmm. and my husband had to you know, lovingly sit me down and say, hey, like, you're this health coach, but you don't seem very happy or healthy right now. Like your mental health is obviously really suffering. And that was a point for me to really reckon with. And as Synergy would have it, I brought one book with me on that trip. It's a book called Intuitive Eating by Elise Rush and Evelyn Tripoli. I would highly recommend it to anybody who got something from this conversation today. Um, And I saw myself so clearly in this book, what I was creating for myself in terms of my own relationship to my body and food as well as potentially for other people. Mm. And so I came back from that trip. I had a lot of unpacking to do and I really started to implement those principles in my life, which then led me to the body acceptance movement. And again, like I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot because there was a lot of work that went into this. Of course. But that led me to this place where it is like the work of my heart to like the deepest passion of my heart to, to see women free themselves uh, from diet culture from shame around their bodies so that they can put their energies towards living the fulfilling life that they are so deserving of. Mm. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. And what I love about your story too, and I, and I see so much of my own story reflected in yours is like being able to use that rock bottom moment as like like that's your awakening right there, right? Do you have a moment that you remember? Yeah, yeah it was. Um, it was like after breakfast with my husband <laughs> out on the cruise and I was telling him crying, I will never go on a trip like this ever again. I will never go on like a trip. And this is like looking back on, I'm like, oh my God, I was in one of the most beautiful places in the world, a a trip that we had dreamed of going on. And all I'm thinking about is the food, right? And I was like sitting in our stateroom, like looking out at this like beautiful scenery and like crying in in fear of like gaining weight on this trip. (laughs) And that was, you know, and and then having my husband reflect that back to me, like, look at what's happening to you right now. Like this, this doesn't seem aligned. Um, that was probably the moment that, that really everything shifted for me. Mm -hmm. I was just being like in that space of like, Mm -hmm. like, this is something I wanted to do and this is where I want to be. And like, Mm -hmm. and imagine had you gone the opposite fork in that road, like how many experiences you'd be cutting yourself off from and you know, how many just like, like life things, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Know, by saying no to, you know, the buffet options, you were also saying no to life. 
that's it. Yeah, it robs you of your life. Mm-hmm. Totally robs you of experiences, joy, fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's like, if I can even just help one woman <laughs> avoid that experience, <laughs> like, then I will know I've done my work because it's it's just such, it, it's it's such necessary work mm-hmm. to to really reclaim yourself in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to speak to the, the unconscious programming that happens in childhood. Um, You spoke of it a bit, just sharing a bit about your evangelical Christian life, but like there, like, it sounds like what happened is you shed like on a conscious level, the, the fundamental principles of, of that religion but that I don't know like the archetypes of good and bad and you know the 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 very binary way of thinking that we get taught even if you're not coming from that background we get taught these these ways of being um like that sticks with you and that Mm. takes a deeper level of consciousness to be able to say, I am choosing to see the gray in this instead of just living in the black and white. Um, Yes. 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 And like that, that programming around like good or bad, right. Something that I, I recognize is that that programming, I, was trained to make others the the granters of my goodness, oh, right? So like, say that again. Yeah, I was I was conditioned to make others the granters of my goodness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I would, through that, you know, try to live up to their expectations of me, so that I would be given the accolades, the praise. Oh, you're so good. Or when I was a kid, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're such a good girl. Oh, you're, yeah. you did the right thing, yeah. right? And that's what yeah. you got as the health coach. like Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it fills something in you and that speaks to the work of, of, of sovereignty and, and that rock solid self-worth to be able to to come back to a sense of like, oh no, I, I decide. I, I am aware of my own inherent goodness. Nobody else gets to decide that for me. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying and disorienting at first. Right? It's like, oh, how do I, how do I like, where do I latch on, right? To to like find myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it ends up being so incredibly liberating because yeah. you really just get to operate from that place of like, tr- like it's like cheesy or as like redundant as it may sound, like true to myself, like the true to the fullest expression of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I, I'm just, I want to give that, that version of you, this like big hug. Cause I know how much work you've had to do to release all of that conditioning, you know, how much work we all, I would say as women um, growing up in this culture, um, growing up in this world of, of, you know, one day skinny is good. And then the next day curvy is good. Um, And feeling like no matter what the trends are happening outside of you, that like this body will never fit that trend Mm -hmm. and never feeling good enough. um, How much work we all have to do to unpack that and 
it's not just for ourselves, I would say, you know, like when I, when I think about doing this kind of work, um, I'm not planning on having children, but I look at, you know, all my friends who have these little kids. And I remember being that age and watching my mom, um, like she used to go on these ridiculous diets where she would justify and be like, oh, I love this diet because I can eat as much as I want as long as it is, is as long as it's just grapefruits and boiled eggs, <laughs> you know? And like, like as little kids, we're absorbing that. As little mm-hmm. kids, we're seeing like, oh, I'm supposed to manipulate my body yeah. to look a certain way. I'm supposed to not love my body unless it it performs in this certain way. I'm not supposed mm-hmm. to, you know, to accept my body where it's at right now. I always have to have a goal in the future. And this work, if any of you are mothers out there listening to this, this work is not just for you. It is to, to help your, your daughter, your son's future inner child Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, as well. Oh, that is so spot on. And we actually have, um, a woman in homecoming right now who's like her main motivation for doing the program was to help her daughters who are very young have a different experience of their relationship to their bodies mm-hmm. and she's finding herself having these conversations with her kids that are like helping them deprogram from things that they're learning outside of even her as their mother right like that they're learning in school or from you know programming and she's like having these really honest conversations with them about their bodies I love talking about this work as, as legacy work, right? Like you have the opportunity if, if mothering is something that you choose, or I mean, a mothering could be having your biological children or being a coach and then holding space for people or whatever it is. Like this is an opportunity to change the legacy for generations to come that like they don't have the same experience of their bodies that those who came before them did. Yeah, And yeah. It, it feels like sacred yeah, work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to do this work is actually to be a pattern breaker, you know, mm-hmm. like how many generations of us have lived with uh, like conditional love with our bodies. And so to actually love our bodies unconditionally, like that is a, that is a pattern that you are breaking and this is hard work. And so if it feels like doing this inner work is a punch in the face sometimes, like (laughs) it's because it is. is. (laughs) I've been hearing, we're just going to shift the conversation a little bit um, before we wrap it up, but I've been hearing a lot in the social media meme world of like healthy at any weight. Health at every size. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious about how that lands for you as somebody who is a body image coach Mm -hmm. and, and unpack that a little bit for me. Sure. Sure. So health at every size, um, it actually deeply informs the work that, that I do. Um, and it is a movement that was created by, uh, Lindo Bacon. Uh, they are, um, a PhD dietitian nutritionist who was, working with a team of other um, dietitians and nutritionists to explore why the weight loss pair, like weight loss is, isn't working, right? Because diets fail 95 to 98% of the time. And two thirds of people who go on diets actually regain more than where they started. 
Mm. Right. So like this thing, this like strategy that people have been given by, you know, diet culture or even like wellness practitioners and doctors to lose weight, like it's not working. And so she's, uh, they set out to explore why. And what they found in their studies is they, they had two different groups. They had what they called like the weight normative group. So this was the group who was pursuing weight loss for health, right. Through traditional dieting and exercise and all of that kind of stuff. And then they had trying to fit into a certain BMI, like that sort of thing. Okay. Exactly. And then they had the health at every size group who uh, the intention with this group was to take weight loss off the table and help them pursue health for health's sake, right? So focusing on the you know intuitive eating principles, eating a variety of foods, managing stress, moving for for joy and fulfillment, um, having you know a dynamic life that's fulfilling for them. So like all of those holistic aspects of health. And what they found, right, was that the group that pursued weight loss, while they lost weight and saw initial health improvements, at their one-year follow-ups, the health improvements had gone away and they had regained the weight, mm-hmm. right? And the other group, the health at every size group, saw the exact same health improvements, right? And they, they maybe some of them lost weight, maybe some of them didn't, um, but like that wasn't the measure of success, but like, you know, lowering blood pressure and bad cholesterol and, you know, reducing stress level levels, higher levels of body satisfaction, like better mental and emotional well-being, all of that maintained throughout that their, their one and two year follow-ups yeah. and the, the attrition rates, meaning the people who dropped out and I forget the exact percentages, so I don't want to say them, but like was significantly higher, those who dropped out in the weight loss group than in the health at every size group. And so that's the the foundation of like very top level health at every size movement. And so what I, I know a lot of people feel very confronted about the health at every size movement. They feel like it's, you know, glorifying, I, I don't even really use this word that much, but like glorifying obesity or being overweight or whatever it might be, and that it's bad for people's health. And what I would say to that, if people are open to learning the research and learning, um, you know, what's behind a lot of this, what many, um, what a, a lot of research has shown up into this point is that people who are in the overweight category live just as long, if not longer, than people who are in the normal weight category. And actually, the people who have the worst health outcomes and the highest levels of mortality um, are people who are in the underweight category in the BMI. Mm. And so there's there's like there's very controversial, <laughs> I don't like controversial facts <laughs> out there that are aren't given enough airtime because we have a culture that's so invested in weight loss. We have a culture that's so invested in stigmatizing people for the size of their bodies. And what the research also shows is that stigmatizing someone for the weight, for the size of their bodies actually leads to to worse health outcomes, more so than the weight itself. Mm -hmm. And so what Health at Every Size is really here to do, right, is to, to help people first and foremost, know that that health is not a moral obligation, right? So if you are experiencing health issues, that doesn't mean that you are a failure or that you are bad or that you are wrong, right? But also to give people an option to explore nourishing and caring for and taking care of their bodies without going down this path of restriction and deprivation that actually leads them in a way worse off place than actually just being in a larger body. Mm. And so 
if if folks are curious about health at every size or wanting to learn more about this, I would absolutely recommend picking up the book Body Respect by Lindo Bacon and Lucy Aframore. And I can send you that information too, if you want to put it in the, sh- in the show notes, because they delve really deep into this, exploring, you know, the, the, the racist roots of BMI and how it was created for white European male bodies and it, that it was never meant to actually be a measure of individual health and well-being, but more of a collective measure, right? So it was looking at like a group dynamics versus individual dynamics. Um, and that, you know, the, the, the study is that funded um, the, the BMI scale, right? Like the, the ones that decide like what, when you're at this BMI, you're obese or overweight. Those studies were funded by the two companies that had the only weight loss drugs on the market at the time. And so it's important for us to know this, to follow the money, to follow like what incentives are behind a lot of this really harmful um, rhetoric around bodies and, 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 you know, the size of, of, of people's bodies. Mm. Um, So I hope that that answers your question on health at every size. And I think that um, for a more in-depth answer, definitely checking out the book Body Respect. Yeah. I'm so glad I asked, you know, I think that um, not knowing all the research behind it, not knowing that there have been long-term studies around um, this kind of work. And and yes, when you, when you outline those two um, study groups, like I'm in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, of course, you know, of course, if you go back and look at them a year later, they are going to have drastically different results. And of course, mm-hmm. the, the, the group that has approached their health from an abundance standpoint versus a scarcity standpoint is going to have more sustainable results. And um, I think as somebody who did not understand that, I would see that out in the social media world and think of it as bypassing, mm-hmm. you know, of like, I'm not going like, like without the the background of like these people are still doing their work and and still doing the work in the way that like we've talked about in terms of like being able to move in ways that feel celebratory and being able to eat in a way that feels intuitive and being able to release the stories and narratives conditions all of that you know and accept that um, that healthy can exist at those levels and it's an ongoing spectrum of health not just this like black and white line in the sand of like now you have high blood pressure and now you have low blood pressure you know um like that's helpful to to understand that and i think the last piece that i really want to just unpack with you and then we'll wrap up this episode because i think honestly like we could probably make this a five-hour episode if you wanted to (laughs) (laughs) But um, like the, and you touched on this before, the energetics around intentionality mm-hmm. of what happens on a biological and physiological level when you approach the same tool or the same food with a different intention, yes. you know? And yep. so... I had um, my good friend Kendra Adachi on this podcast a few episodes back, and she also does a lot of work with body image. And we talked about how, you know, you can eat a donut and be in celebration of eating a donut. um, And your body's going to process that very, very differently from if you eat a donut and you're like 
feeling like I'm a piece of shit for eating a donut. Yes. Yes. You know, exactly right. Like in a way, like how, like just on an energetic level in Chinese medicine, we break down the different organs. Right. And so like how you digest that food at the stomach level, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're if your thinking is this is bad for me and this is shit and I'm a horrible person for eating a donut, your body is not going to receive the messages of like, okay, so now I need to produce gastric acid, which is going to help break this donut down into small enough pieces and break it down into like small enough chunks that I can then send down to my small intestine. You know, it's like, that's where the heartburn comes from. Right. Exactly. And And then when you break it down even further, it's like, then your stomach is, or sorry, your small intestine is now receiving partially digested, you know, donut. And so then your small intestine can't extract all the the nutrition that is potentially in that donut. There is still nutrition in a donut. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, um, and use the sugar as energy. Like it's, this is where we can develop leaky gut is because you've not been able to like process it down. And then when it comes down to the large intestine, like you need to be in a relaxed state in order to pass a stool. And so then you're retaining it in a way that's Mm -hmm. not healthy. So like, like uh, that speaks to the study that you just shared um, of like one group is approaching it as I'm a piece of shit if I eat a donut and the other group is approaching it as you know, can I eat this donut in celebration and in balance with the rest of my life? Yep. And there's such a, like, can we, can we just fucking bridge that gap now? Yes, like, yes, yeah. yes. Like, that's exactly it. It's like, that's what I talk about with unconditional permission to eat. It's like, we're putting our bodies into that parasympathetic state. Like, oh, like, can I just like nourish my body from that? Like, just deep place of permission and knowing I'm allowed to have this thing and I'm not bad or wrong because of it. Because when we do eat in that way, like that is stressful on the body, right? And that will create that energetic response in your body, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it's I, the way that you broke that down was was so, so beautiful and, and, and spot on to like what's happening when we are, like we're digesting the words that we're saying about ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And- Oh my goodness. Oh, this is so good. I loved talking with you. I feel like this is the first time that like you and I have had like an in-depth conversation yeah. and like, I, please come back on. Yes. I would <laughs> love that. Let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So how can folks find you, my dear? Yeah. So probably the best place to find me where I send people is my Instagram because I'm, you know, constantly updating there what's what's going on um, in, in my world. Uh, so I have my Facebook group, or I'm sorry, my, my Instagram page. And then if you go to the link in my bio, you can get access to my free Facebook group. Also, I have um, a body gratitude meditation in there. That's a free download for people to explore how you can actually express gratitude and appreciation for your body. And there's great journaling prompts. Um, So that would be probably the best place for people to go. And my Instagram handle is very simple. It's, it's uh, (laughs) holly.toronto. And, you know, we've been talking about your homecoming program. So at the time of the release of this podcast, which is end of January, you are taking enrollments, right? 
Yes, yes. So we will be taking enrollments throughout the month of February. So yeah, again, that program, it's an eight-month immersive program for um, women specifically who want to make body shame and dieting a thing of the past, that want to free up their energy and their brain space and their uh, their capacity and their potential. Um, Heart so space. Yes, yes. <laughs> to put that towards creating that that fulfilling life that they're so deserving of. And so it's uh, we go through those four pillars that we talked through today. Um, and it's incredibly powerful work. And we'd be happy to chat with anybody who wants to explore it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. a great conversation about body image. I love Holly's perspective. It feels so nourishing. Since we recorded that episode, I like I said at the beginning, I have been sitting with her words, her thoughts, and had some little pieces get tied together for me. And so I want to specifically tie together this idea of sovereignty and awareness that Holly talks about. I specifically want to distill it down to something simple that you can start using today. And honestly, I hope that you start using this today. The first thing I want us to do is to drop in and tune into the feeling in your body when you are making decisions from a place of lack or when you are making decisions from a place of abundance. What does it feel like in your body when you are on those two opposing poles? And Focus more on the sensation rather than the emotion. So sensation in your body rather than the emotion, because we want to we wanna allow space for your body to be able to communicate with you. I'm going to give you a moment right now, and I'll play a little bit of music for you. And I want you to write down two lists. And the lists are, when I am in scarcity, my body feels like dot, dot, dot. And when I'm in abundance, my body feels like dot dot dot. I'll play some lovely music by Mayan Kites and I'll be here in about two minutes.
So now that we have that information, this is your roadmap. This is that awareness piece that Holly explains as being the very first step. I feel like we need to be really specific here. Awareness that is held without judgment. And if you can muster it, perhaps holding that awareness with a tone of curiosity to simply be aware of what it feels like to be in scarcity versus when you are in abundance so that the next decision you make comes from a place of complete sovereignty. So if you feel abundant, you have a sovereign choice in how you channel that abundance. Do you feel resourced enough to move your body today? Do you feel celebratory and want to have that glass of wine? Can you say yes to that donut and enjoy every fucking bite of it? Now you can move forward with consciousness instead of being unconscious about why you want to make these decisions. And then if you feel scarce, can you take sovereign responsibility to fill your cup? This might mean saying yes to rest today. And for me personally, these are the days that I say no to that donut. Even if yesterday I was able to say yes to that donut, today I might be saying no to that donut because I know that this will turn into the shame spiral because I'm not in a state of abundance. I'm now in a state of scarcity. And that shame spiral is going to drain my already low resources. It's also worth noting that these are the days that I will also say no to whiskey because given my history with addiction to alcohol, that one drink on a day of scarcity will turn into seven. And I will also say no to Etsy because I will try to fill the void with artisan jewelry and pottery. I love what Holly shares about giving yourself permission, and I want to expand that permission slip to read, when you are in scarcity, what sovereign action can you take to shift to abundance? And make your conscious decision from there. Because I know that those things are all there for me. The pottery, the whiskey, the donut, the thing on my to-do list. And I can say yes to them. But being aware of the underlying pattern of scarcity gives me back my power in being able to say no thank you, not today. Because I need to find some other substantial way that is actually going to fill my cup instead. I hope that that lands well for you, and I get to see you next week. As we are wrapping up, I just want to send out a few pings of gratitude out there. First of all, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of our community, and if you would like to support our project, you can find us on patreon.com. I would also like to send some thanks out to Mayan Kites, who creates original music for our podcast, and for Andre Lagasse, who produces these podcast episodes. Thank you.